Uh-huh. I just feel like I've been around the block, ripping up fantasy stock, working around the clock. Look at the view from the top. Researching rookies a lot? No, I just be listening to pods. Yeah, one in particular. I'm just a messenger. Let me just pass on the rock. Browning, brunning, bruning, pronouncing ain't what he's doing. What he's doing is not losing, but infusing you with new things. And there's Dennis the Bennett. Yeah, the man is a menace. Yeah, building a dynasty. Some of the finest things. Promise you, you won't regret it. Sly as a fox, cultured in pop, give him his props. Here is a thought, here is a box, and you cannot compare him at all, so don't even try. Careful with the news, but when you use a take, I take up Tony Fire, I mean dire, because anyone else is a huge mistake. Whoa, fantasy round table, fantasy, fantasy round table, yeah, fantasy round table. Come take a look at the crown, baby. Hey, fantasy round table, fantasy, fantasy round table, fantasy round table. Come take a look at the crown, baby. Go. What's going on, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Fantasy Football Roundtable Podcast, proud members of the Full-Time Fantasy Podcast Network. You can find them at FTF Podnet on Twitter, and you can find me, your host for the evening, Matthew Bruning, at SportsFanaticMB on Twitter. We're just one of a ton of great podcasts associated with this network, some of which are Jim Day of FF Champs, Bob Lung of the Fantasy Consistency Show, the Consistency Guide, and the creator of the Midwest Fantasy Expo. We also have Corey Parsons and Dr. Roto from SiriusXM Radio. You can find all of us on FullTimeFantasy.com, your one-stop shop for all of your fantasy news, advice, and strategies. We are also proud to be partnering with ExpandTheBoxScore.com. You can find them at XTBoxScore on Twitter. They have some of the best college and NFL stats in the game. Check them out. It is well worth your time. If you follow me on Twitter and you see the college profile stuff that I post, all the stats that I find are from their website. It is extremely helpful, especially if you're trying to study college players or the incoming draft classes. For today, speaking of incoming draft class, we've got John Law back with us again. You can find him at GridironSkull91 on Twitter. He was on with us a couple weeks ago talking running backs and quarterbacks. Today, we're going to talk about the wide receivers and tight ends. He is ready to go, as are Dennis and Mr. Matthew Fox. So let's jump all three on here and let's talk about the 2020 NFL Draft, which we are just 10 days away from. And as our typical Monday podcast consists, we've got Mr. Dennis Bennett, who you can follow at culture underscore coach on Twitter. Dennis, how you doing? I am doing fantastic. Uh, My wife's birthday is tomorrow, so I'm going to take a half a day off work that she doesn't know about and uh, figure out what the heck to do there. A lot of something special for her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, a lot of inside time. I uh, was well, good. Let her know happy birthday from us. Matt Fox is here with us as well. You can follow at Nighthawk seven seven three four. Matt, how you doing today in beautiful Colorado? Well, it was beautiful on Saturday. It was about seventy five. Uh, it was really nice. People next to us uh, forgot that we were under lockdown orders and had like a thirty person block party. Uh, and then Sunday, our high was 29. Today, I have not seen the sun, um, and it's been snowing. So it's almost like a complete reversion to winter. That just means football season's almost here, right? That's 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 what you got to take out of that. We've got about a week, what, ten days left for the NFL draft, and we'll actually be able to talk some real football talk. Uh, which I'm excited about, which is why we have a special guest on here today. As I mentioned in the intro, we've got John Law back with us again today. He was with us, I believe it was two weeks ago on Monday, talking about running backs and quarterbacks. He is joining us again today to talk wide receivers and tight ends. You can follow him at GridironSkull, S-C-H-O-L, 91 on Twitter. He does a ton of great stuff on there. One of the best followers works with football diehards, but does what I know him for is a ton of his uh, rookie breakdowns and Debbie stuff that he posts on YouTube. John, thank you again for taking time out of your day to join us. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Yesterday was just a spectacular day weather-wise. I was able to enjoy the backyard with my dogs and read a book, but today is just the opposite. It's miserable in the Northeast. It's windy, rainy, but you know what? You guys have brought the sunshine back because I can talk football, and that's what we're here for tonight. 
That is right. And as I mentioned, the draft is just 10 days away, and we know for sure that it is going to happen. It's going to give all of us <laughs> something to uh, to react to and talk about that's not necessarily – I don't want to say fake, but we've kind of been guessing here for the past couple of weeks what may happen. We're actually going to get answers to those questions here in about 10 days. What are your thoughts on this uh, NFL draft being a virtual draft, and, and how uh, excited are you that the draft is still going to happen on time? Well, first, I'm completely excited. I mean, there is really in the sports world, there is nothing else going on. So like I was already thinking today, what am I going to do when the draft is actually over? And I immediately said, don't worry about it. Enjoy the next two weeks and probably like the week after when we get to do our dynasty rankings post draft, we get to talk about where the players landed. So I'm going to enjoy the next three weeks and then we'll worry about whatever happens Afterwards, I I really like the fact that the NFL has done what is safe for the people, for the people in its league, for the fans who love this sport. There was the way that this pandemic has evolved. It would not have been wise to open up and have a live draft in Las Vegas. I think the NFL is taking the lead in showing us that we know there are challenges here. But we have the technology and the intellect to get this done and protect the players, protect this, our society. So let's do this. I mean, yes, there are there are shortcomings. And I understand scouts and teams, they haven't been able to interview and work one-on-one. And there are pro days that have been canceled. But I'll say this. Everyone is under the same paradigm. They're all equal, all 32 franchises, all 400 players. Everyone is on equal footing. It is your organization's ability to adjust in this challenge and be successful. There are no excuses. You must be successful as an organization, and you've got to do this draft well. And to me, there are no excuses to make this happen. Yeah, I, I agree with you 100% on that. I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens. We've seen a lot of general managers and everything kind of come out and complain about having to do the virtual draft. They're afraid that other teams will hack into their systems while they're doing their Zoom conference calls. They're worried about things dropping off, maybe with, with spotty connection if a storm rolls through or something like that. I think that it's just going to continue to point out, especially in, in something like this, this is brand new for these. I mean, not brand new. They've been sure they've done stuff like this, but the way they're going to have to handle the draft this year is a brand new process. I think it's just going to reaffirm what good teams are in the NFL and what bad teams are in the NFL, because I still think whatever teams are going through, they're all going through the same thing, as you mentioned, and the good teams are always going to find a way to adjust and succeed, and the bad teams are going to find a way to continue to fail. So I think it's going to be a really interesting way to handle the draft. I am looking forward to it, and we're here to talk about the draft today. So I want to talk about the wide receiver class, which is in a way kind of divisive. There's a lot of people who feel that this class is extremely deep. I would argue that it's good at the top and, and a little bit of a steeper drop than some others uh, think. In fact, I would argue next year's class is better overall. What is just your overall thought on this wide receiver class for 2020? So the first thing I'm going to touch base is historical drafts. I'm a history teacher and I love the NFL. So in order to even assess this draft and the perceived deepness, I have to go back in time. And I think always about the 1996 draft in the first round, Keyshawn Johnson, Terry Glenn, Eddie Kennison, Marvin Harrison, Eric Moulds, unbelievable first round draft class impacted the league for a decade at the wide receiver position. Then for all of those youngsters listening out there, I think of the 2014 class, Sammy Watkins, Mike Evans, Odell Beckham, Brandon Cooks, Kelvin Benjamin. And in the second round, Devontae Adams and Allen Robinson. So when I look at any draft, I must compare it to the 1996 and 2014 class. Right now, how I look at it, first, I agree with you. I think the top six prospects are unbelievably worthy of a first-round draft pick. They are solid. Then when you get into the next group, everyone's going to shuffle these receivers. And I literally mean from receiver seven to receiver 20. 
the there is no consensus afterwards. We can assume players like Brandon Ayuk and Lavishka Chanel are most likely to go in the second round. They could go in the first. But then you get a huge swath of players. And there is clearly risk here that is being ignored, I think. We don't know for sure which one of those, you know, from wide receiver seven all the way to wide receiver 20, which three of them are going to be productive wide receivers on a regular basis. We all have our opinions, our analysis, our production models, our film watching. So I agree that it's extremely top heavy, like the class of 96 and 2014. Now, who can find the hidden gems? That's going to determine, in my opinion, if this is an all-time great class like those two historical classes in my lifetime. You just mentioned hidden gems there. So do you think uh, that it might be harder for NFL GMs to find some of the hidden gems with everything going on? Like you mentioned, the canceled pro days and everything. Obviously, they're still doing, uh, I believe, like Zoom calls and everything, and, and they're still doing, I guess, in a way, like, combines at home and stuff like that but do you think with everything going on this new normal that we've had to try and adjust to the past couple months might affect the way some of these wide receivers will go later in this draft i think it will and i'll give you an example of a player brian edwards of south carolina i have him as my 11th ranked wide receiver and i really like this young man what he's put on film my production model really likes him however we did not get to see him at the combine because of a broken foot, and he did not participate in the Senior Bowl. So I, on March 19th, he was going to have his pro day, and that was going to be a difference maker. So Brian Edwards could be all over the boards. Some teams might have him in the top 10. Other teams might assess him as a sixth-round draft pick because they don't know about the foot. So I think it is going to be largely so dependent on how a team assesses each individual player because they have not been able to see his athletic ability in the 40, the three-cone drill, and the 20-yard shuttle, and they don't know the medicals, I would assume, for the most part, on the broken foot. Right. So he could be wildly all over the board. I think you might have to rely more on your assessment of watching film, your scouts' perspective, and what production models for players who did not participate in the combine or who have not had their pro day. So, John, this is Dennis. With the the embracing of analytics, so a lot of the some of the tenants of analytics look at things that they want uh, big schools production, production early, and Edwards checks all of those boxes. So so do you really think he's going to fall that far if he's checking all of those boxes? And, and I, I think that uh, his medical, his, his foot has been checked out. So if his foot is checked out, if they're looking at the x-rays, you know, he was never a speed guy to begin with. Um, so if he's checking those, those primary boxes of, early production because didn't Edwards he had a 17 year old breakout age 17. oh yeah point nine yeah incredible production and early breakout you're right I think he caught his first pass at 17 in the SEC that's pretty amazing are we really are we probably looking more at a second or third round pick for him as opposed to somebody that'll drop to day three well so I have a third round grade on him right now um, but I don't know how every organization is going to handle it. Now, do I believe that there's a team who will find value on him in the third round? Absolutely. But, you know, it's it's fascinating because I try to think there's 32 organizations and I would say there's different ways in which obviously they assess players while there are probably similarities. And some teams might just take Brian Edwards off their boards while others will love him as a value late second, early third. Um, and how fast the wide receivers are going off the board. I still have him as a third round grade because I do. I would have really liked to have seen him at this pro day. I just don't have a check on the box. Now, I agree with you. 
He did not win with speed or quick twitch athleticism. He won with other factors. So, but because I don't see it, I have a third round grade on him. Right on. All right. Well, two of the wide receivers I imagine you have first round grades on and, and are one and two for everybody are Lamb and Judy. So how do you see these two for fantasy and NFL purposes if that differs at all for you with these two guys? So this has been my biggest debate for months, but I have settled on Team Jerry Judy. And oh. I'm going- <laughs> and I know, so I, I mean, I probably am in the minority, but it's probably pretty close, like 60-40. I think the majority seems to be on C.D. Lamb. Um, one, I will say this. I think Jerry Judy's a better football player than he is pure athlete. So there's always that factor to me. But what I, why I like Judy, I do think he's the best route runner that I've charted over the last decade. He is just simply stupendous route runner, and he gets open so easily in the intermediate and short areas of the field. He also hits home runs, and he's given credit more credit for. He averaged 17.2 yards of reception, which is a nice, healthy chunk for a guy people think is not going deep often. I get it. I'm obviously not happy with the 40-yard dash and the 20-yard shuttle at the combine. Would have loved to have seen a little bit better. But I'll say this. In my opinion, I have a higher grade than Calvin Ridley. He's obviously not a super stud like Julio Jones coming out of Alabama. I also believe that Judy has a huge floor. I mean, I just think at worst he's Calvin Ridley, and I do think he has 1,200-yard upside with the right quarterback in the right scheme. C.D. Lamb, look it, man, I see it. There are moments he's actually eye-popping unbelievable. But the reason, the differentiation that I'm making, one is the Oklahoma system. I've seen a ton of players come out of this Oklahoma passing game, and most of them have not reached what we perceive to be their ceiling at the NFL level. Two, I think there's a floor here that people are ignoring. I'm not saying it's a very low floor, but if I had a bet on one having a career that hovered around 900 yards per season, I would think that's more C.D. Lamb. I hate drawing these little, you know, nuance differences in the two, but I am on Team Judy. And I, but I do believe both of them are top 10 talent in the draft. Well, this is a, a pro CD land podcast, so you did ah, set all three of us, but that's all right. No, I, I, um, I actually think it's probably closer than what you said on the 60-40. I would say it's probably 51-49. Like, it, it seems to go back and forth between those two. I mean, we all... I agree with everything you said on Judy. I'm more C.D. Lamb because I think he has the chance to be a better fantasy wide receiver, and that's kind of what I focus on most of the time. Uh, So that's kind of why I lean more C.D. Lamb. I think he's just got a little bit more – I talked about it on a podcast with – Matt and Dennis recently, I saw someone compare him to kind of like a, when he catches the ball, he runs after the the catch like George Kittle. Like he just runs angry, not afraid to throw anybody around, run anybody over. And I kind of like that about CeeDee Lamb. So that, that's where I am on him. Uh, is there a guy after everybody that you've kind of been scouting and watching and all the videos that you've posted, is there, is there a wide receiver that you think is going to be a steal that you have not seen a lot of the fantasy or NFL community talking about? So I'm going to actually have to give you two, if that's all right with you, um, because it's very hard to differentiate between these two players. They're very close. And I'm looking at ceiling for both of these guys. My theory in Dynasty drafts in the third round, I'm strictly going for ceiling. I like high-end players. And the two players that I like that I don't think are receiving enough Attention, and I'm getting it at what I perceive a really good value. Lynn Bowden out of Kentucky and Donovan Peoples-Jones out of Michigan. Look, at both of them have their warts. I understand that, and there are concerns. However, when I'm looking at this level, I'm looking at ceiling. And I see Lynn Bowden as an extraordinarily dynamic athlete and playmaker. He can fulfill so many roles on your football team. And the fact that this young man is third year at Kentucky, 
They were so desperate for quarterback. They asked the young man to switch from wide receiver to wildcat quarterback. And he wasn't good. He was unbelievably phenomenal as a quarterback at Kentucky. Now, look, he's not even going to come close to a quarterback in the NFL. But what he showed me were high-level athletic traits. He showed me teamwork. He is so quick off the line of scrimmage. He is so fast. He makes defenders whiff, and he is nasty in the open field. I just loved watching him play quarterback. Now, you have to go back to his freshman year and watch his film as a receiver. So I love the ceiling in the right system, but he's probably going to need two or three years to really pop at the NFL level. But the athleticism is there. The work ethic is there. The ability to grasp different positions is there. I just love him. And then Donovan Peoples-Jones, look it, I get it. You watch the film. It ain't pretty. I get the production model is not there. I totally get it. But the high-end athleticism and burst is there. He's also got underrated size at six foot two and 212 pounds. But his vertical jump, his broad jump, the 40 yard dash show me a high level athlete. And look, I've watched way too much Michigan football. It has been frustrating. However, it's been great. It is, <laughs> I mean, yes, I know. I'm a state fan, right? Yeah. When, I, when I see it, They've had a Neanderthal at quarterback. They've had a Cro-Magnum coach playing in the Ice Age. If you can get this dynamic man in an offense that can utilize his skill set, I see high upside. And also, he can contribute day one on special teams. Again, another player, two or three years to make it in the NFL. But I can see a extraordinarily high ceiling for the value that you're paying. Well, I, I, you know, Peoples Jones is a Michigan guy, and well, he uh, did have he does get a pass for having to play with Shea Patterson. That honestly, <laughs> to have Patterson being the one getting him the ball, I, I don't, you know, that that was pretty rough. So. You know, we're moving on. The next guy we want to talk about <laughs> is uh, Terry McLaurin. So McLaurin had an okay career at Ohio State. He was a good receiver. Um, and then he went to the Senior Bowl, and he just started to light things up. Uh, is, is there a Terry McLaurin in this draft, somebody that's going to come out of, out of nowhere and surprise in year one? If there is in my book. I think it's Devin Durvinay of the Texas Longhorns. He had a very good senior bowl performance, and he really hit a home run at the combine. Now, I understand his production profile is over a four-year period at Texas, and he doesn't have the early breakout age, so people are going to put some question marks on him. But his last two seasons with Sam Ellinger under center – he had 147 receptions for 1,932 yards and 13 touchdowns. He has the body 5'10", 200 pounds. He looks, he is a slot receiver. To me, he reminds me so much of Julian Edelman. I think he has very similar traits. He dominates the short and the intermediate field. And man, he can make you miss. He's extraordinarily good at finding blockers in the open field, using those blocks to bust open and explode for big plays. His 40-yard dash at 4.39 shows you that straight line speed that he uses in the open field. And one of the things I love about him, if you've watched Ellinger, he is not the most accurate quarterback. And I like Ellinger, but he's not like, you know, he's not Jalen Hurts, Joe Burrow, 70% completion, anything like that. He had an 82% catch rate this year. That is extraordinary. What I also liked, if you know the Longhorn scheme, 
they pump the H position. In Tom Herman's offense, the H position wide receiver gets funneled every or the vast majority of the passes. Every defensive back, defensive coordinator, and the opponent in the stadium knows you must stop the H position in Tom Herman's offense. The Duvernay had a 37% team aerial dominator rating. I love this kid. He looks perfect for the New England Patriots, or I think sneaky Tom Brady could use a guy like him, too, in Tampa Bay, even though it might be a redundancy of assets later in the draft. So the the one year of real production, you know, the 147 catches, 106 of them came in his senior year. So yeah. does that does that concern you then with only one real strong year of production? No, because I know the way that the Texas Longhorns under Tom Herman, and I forget the receiver who came out from Texas last year. Little Jordan he, Humphrey. Who? Which one? Little Jordan Humphrey. That's it. Little Jordan Humphrey was the guy in the H position the year before. And I've watched Tom Herman all the way back with Houston. This is very common in his offense. Also, they had a player, Colin Johnson, who people thought, you know, Colin Johnson's six foot four. I think he's 225 pounds. We've heard about him. Dynasty people have talked about him, but he just has not hit his ceiling. He never achieved that greatness with the Longhorns. So they had a little bit better of a depth chart than people give him credit at Texas. Yeah, I was, I'm one of those people who loved Colin Johnson. So thanks. Thanks for ah. taking that shot at me right there. Uh, there's uh, two two divisive wide receiver prospects in this draft. In my opinion, there's a lot of people who really like Chenault and Henry Ruggs. Uh, Chenault obviously has explosiveness as kind of that offensive weapon, but everybody is worried about his injury history and the fact that he's not really actually played as much wide receiver as you may think. And then there's Henry Ruggs, who a lot of people are talking about, well, all he has is speed. What are your opinions on those two guys? So first I'll tell you, I have rugs at number six on my rankings for fantasy. In my opinion, he's a much better NFL asset than he is a fantasy dynasty asset. The thing about rugs is there's a simpatico amongst wide receivers in a passing game. And we all saw what happened to Carson Wentz and the Eagles after Deshaun Jackson got hurt. You need an offensive weapon that can challenge the defense vertically 40 to 50 yards down the field. That's why I think John Ross is so important to the Cincinnati Bengals. Regardless of how good he is, he needs to be able to attack the safeties deep. So in the NFL, you definitely want that player who commands safety over the top at all times. And Henry Ruggs is the perfect wide receiver. Now, Deshaun Jackson is special. There's no question he's had one of the great careers coming out of California, but he's also wildly inconsistent. I think Henry Ruggs is going to have a similar career. Now, I don't think he's as good of a prospect as Jackson, but he's pretty darn close. And Jackson's just been so good for so long. So I see why an NFL team so desperately wants Henry Ruggs. As an example, the Denver Broncos, when you have Cortland Sutton, Noah Fant, and Phillip Lindsay, you can attack the intermediate and the short areas of the defense so effectively with those weapons. If you plug into Sherman's offense, Schumer's, you put Henry Ruggs on that field, you have just drastically changed the dynamics of that offense. You have opened it up so much more for Lindsey and Fant in the intermediate and short area of the field because basically you can send Ruggs deep on nearly every play. You could also coach Ruggs, young man, you're a rookie. We're going to ask you to run three patterns all year long. That's it. You don't have to read the defense. We're going to make this simple for you. Run these three patterns nearly every play. 
You master those. We'll deal with all the other stuff. You just get open deep. You leave them one-on-one with the wrong cornerbacks, and Drew Locke has the ball to get to him. So the NFL is going to value this asset way more than I will in Dynasty Leagues. Now, Chanel, I have them at number nine, and it's because of the injury history. Now, I'm conservative with injuries. I get it. I loved watching this man play at Colorado in 2018. Simply spectacular on film before he got injured. But now I look at this injury record of LaVishka Chanel, turf toe injury, left shoulder labrum injury, diagnosed with inflammation of pubic bone, and he needed surgery to repair a core muscle injury. He's a second round pick right now. I see the spectacular upside. I absolutely get it. But I cannot embrace that much risk with a player who has not even been on the field 12 games in any one calendar year right now. So I think you touched on a, a little bit of uh, why I was going to ask the next question about rugs. Obviously, a big Broncos fan. I've seen uh, yeah. it's interesting. You just touched on those two guys because I've seen Broncos Twitter uh, high on high on rugs, but also talking about we should take Chenault because he played here. Uh, and you've put me off that one pretty good right there. But the, the, the asset is redundant. He's not a home run hitter. He's a court and Sutton light. Like it just doesn't work. They, it, it, I think, in my opinion, you know, I'm looking for assets. So, do you think that's why uh, so many people have fallen in love with with rugs? Is just the speed? I mean, I've seen several people on Twitter talking about how he should easily be the first wide receiver taken. You know, it definitely. I watch the film and I get it, and he's a good red zone threat. But I also have to look at the offense he played in. When you are playing in this Alabama offense last year, you have a franchise quarterback throwing the football. You have Jerry Judy demanding attention. Then you have Jalen Waddell and Devonta Smith. I mean, you can't have better teammates that enable you to be successful. And I've seen too many of these speedsters who come into the league and they are limited. So I think the problem I have with rugs from a fantasy asset is people are looking at the speed. They're too obsessed with speed. And if I'm on a spectrum of outcomes for rugs, that spectrum starts with um, John Ross and it ends with Deshaun Jackson. That is a huge schasm that I'm not willing to embrace that much, that much risk. Unless I get value, then I will do it. But I think people are reaching for him. In, in fantasy drafts, where where does that value lie for you on Chenault and Ruggs? Uh, if they both, say, fall into middle to late second round, is that where you would try and take a stab at them in rookie drafts? Assuming Ruggs goes to the Broncos, like a lot of projecting him to be so a first-round pick, and then, say, Chenault does go early second to mid-second in the NFL draft. Yeah, I think that would be perfect. If I could get, let's say, in a 12-team league, I think once you hit the 18th pick in the draft, I mean, maybe 17th. So mid-second round, I'm willing to embrace that much value. But I see those two players going off a lot earlier in my book. Yeah, I don't disagree with you on that. Someone's going to fall in love with both of those guys and take them. I wouldn't be surprised back into the first half. So the draft is going to change a lot of values for these guys. How deep would you feel comfortable drafting wide receivers in a rookie draft this year? Right now, on my board, I have 18 dynasty assets that I'm looking for at wide receiver. And anywhere's up. So I would assume by the fourth round, I would love to get one of my 18 players in the fifth round if one fell to me. I tend to be going once the fifth round comes around. I like the tight ends. That's when I'll jump into that pool. But I have 18 that I'm comfortable with. I got to ask about my guy. Where do you have Isaiah Hodgins at? I have him about 22 right now. He's in that post outside the 20 range. That hurt. I have to see. I'll tell you this. To me, he's in that range. What's the draft capital? 
Is he a yes. six-round pick or a fourth-round pick? I mean, that's to me, is going to dictate the final outcome on Isaiah Hodgkins. He's going to be a fourth-round pick because I love him. And, if and he, then if, I, if he is, I clearly move him up in that scenario. Gotcha. All right, fair enough. So what are your top five landing spots in the NFL for any wide receiver? Like, what are the five offenses you want to see a really good wide receiver go to? I will give you the five in not necessarily a particular order, but they are. Philadelphia Eagles, Minnesota Vikings, New York Jets, New England Patriots, and the Las Vegas Raiders. Those are the five I expect to dabble at least. They got it by the end of the second round. All five of those franchises, to me, should have at least drafted one receiver by the end of the the second round. Over, under on Eagles wide receivers drafted 2.5. Oh, they spent last year. Um, They should draft three, but I'm going to say two. Hey, real quick follow-up. What do you like about the Jets as a landing spot? Because I think some of us have been very concerned. Uh, Adam Gase doesn't seem like he's gotten it together. I know they obviously have a lot of targets available since their wide receiver core is the well of sadness. But what makes them appealing to you? Well, that's a great question because I'm an anti-Gase guy also. But oh, if well, I'm, looking, to the group. If to I'm the group. looking at a three-legged stool, I still believe in Sam Darnold as a franchise quarterback. So check. Two, opportunity with Robbie Anderson moving on and the current depth chart. There is tremendous opportunity there. Three, as a Gase is an anchor, however... I don't see him lasting in the organization much past this current upcoming season. So if he gets fired, I'll be ecstatic. And this is a dynasty league, so I'm looking at three to four seasons down the road. And Sam Darnold is going to find someone to be his alpha male, in my opinion. So I like that landing spot, but not necessarily this year. All right, so who are your top 10 guys for the NFL uh, 2020 wide receiver class this year? Sure, let me start. We've mentioned it already. I got Jerry Judy, number one, CeeDee Lamb, number two. My number three, I love Justin Jefferson out of LSU. Just absolutely. His catch percentage, 83%. The film work, 111 receptions last year. Just absolutely phenomenal. 18 touchdowns. I think he can play the X, the Z, and the slot. I think he can be special at the NFL level. (laughs) Philadelphia Eagles draft this young man. I'm still higher than most on T. Higgins. I get the pro day wasn't great, but I think he's a tremendous football player. I do believe that he's got the size and the physicality to play the X or the Z. 6'4", 216 pounds. He has great hands. He is a good, a very good, extraordinarily good football player. He's number four. My number five is Denzel Mims, man, No one has climbed higher up my draft rankings over this process than Denzel Mims. I relate the Baylor wide receivers similar to the Wisconsin running backs. Baylor has put a lot of players into the NFL in the last decade at the wide receiver position. And we all remember Corey Coleman. Denzel Mims is better than all of those recent Baylor products. Henry Ruggs is number six for me. Uh, moving on to number seven, Jalen Rager out of TCU. Really like that young man. Number eight is Brandon Ayuk out of Arizona State. Um, we mentioned LaVishka Chanel out of Colorado. And Michael Pittman, USC, is my number 10. I like Pittman I love there. Pittman, yeah. yeah. I like, oh, man, I like Pittman a lot. <laughs> a real lot. So, uh Obviously, we've seen a lot of people with mocks. Uh, some have a ton of wide receivers going in, even in the first round. We've mentioned you mentioned five teams that that you liked as landing spots that will obviously have to get a receiver. There's two or three other ones uh, that are definitely in play for receiver. Uh, how many wide receivers do you think will go in the first round of this year's draft? So that's a great question because tomorrow. 
All right, on footballdiehards.com is my first mock, my one-man mock draft. And I just finished this morning all 32 teams. And I have six players going at wide receiver in the first round. And that does not include Brandon Ayuk. So some people, like Daniel Jeremiah, have a first-round grade. And he says a lot of the NFL scouts and teams love Ayuk. I have a second-round grade on him. I like Mims more than Ayuk, but I have six going in the first round. Mm, feels kind of high. <laughs> what is the over under on on the wide receivers there? I I don't know. I haven't, oh, I haven't okay. looked. I what is it? Oh, I don't. Oh, I, I wish I, I have no idea either. I could. I I will, yeah. I will look really quick as I get your answer to. Uh, we've obviously had you on last time, and I love to talk Debbie and everything. So I want to get your top ten Debbie wide receivers really quick, and then I will look up the over under for first round wide receivers this year. Oh, somebody starts a Debbie league, and now they bring on a Debbie guy to pepper. His <laughs> hey, 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 we <laughs> talked hey, Debbie last that, time that, too. Two of us here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Matt's in there now too. So I will say this. My college prep work begins with my Debbie League rankings. Um, So it's a process. Debbie League, the college fantasy rankings, to I do rankings in um, late October. And then obviously I update from the Senior Bowl Combine. So right now, um, Rashad Bateman, Minnesota, my number one Debbie-ranked wide receiver. I know I'm a little bit outside the norm because I have Jamar Chase of LSU as my number two. I need to see what Chase is going to do this year with a different coordinator, a different quarterback, and doesn't have Justin Jefferson on the field. So I have Bateman one, Jamar Chase number two. I love them both. Now, I'm very bullish on the next player. Most people don't aren't really. He's not on their radar yet. I love Seth Williams out of Auburn. If Bo Nix takes the next step forward at quarterback, and he's a sophomore this year. I think Seth Williams in the SEC at that size could be special and a number one draft pick in the NFL. My number four is Rondell Moore. I'm a little lower on him because I tend to be a sizist. I like bigger receivers in general. I love Rondell Moore, but I think his size limits him as an NFL prospect. My number five, Justin Ross out of Clemson. Absolutely love this young man, but I'm a Clemson guy at wide receiver, so maybe I'm biased there. My number six is Amon Ray St. Brown out of USC. I think he's going to be off the charts special this year. I love St. Brown. Then I'm going to go back-to-back Alabama. Boy, was this team loaded. Next year, they have two prospects, my seven and eight, Jalen Waddell and Devonta Smith. Those two young men men are special. Now, will they get the quarterback performance that Judy and Ruggs did? I like Mac Jones, but I don't think he's in Tua's class. Then number nine, Sage Surratt out of Wake Forest. And my number 10, Tillon Walls out of Oklahoma State. Well, I love Bateman at one. I'm a little disappointed you have Rondell Moore as low as you do. I love Rondell Moore. I actually have him behind Bateman ahead of Chase because I have the same worries about you do with that LSU offense and Chase. I still think Chase is going to be good, uh, but I just love what – ever since I saw Rondell Moore just completely torch my Buckeyes a couple years ago, I've, I've been in love with the kid. Uh, I think he's going to be an absolute stud. I, I see him as like a Steve Smith with more speed and, and more dangerous. So I, I think he's going to be good, but I understand the – Team big wide receiver Dennis is the same way. He he tends to lean more toward those uh, big wide receivers. So the over yeah, under. So here it is. I got Rondell's Moore's nine five nine one eighty. Yeah. Now remember, Purdue's probably lying about that. He could be five <laughs> eight one seventy five. So that's that's why I'm a little bit. I need to see him at the official size and weight still. And I love the film, man. Right. It's off the charts, great. Well, speaking of Purdue, how high do you have David Bell? Um, In my Debbie rankings, I think he's outside the top 20 right now. Okay. All right, so I found I like, the uh, – oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, I like him. He, I mean, I picked him up when Rondell Moore got hurt last year, and he helped me a lot in college fantasy football. So I've got a couple so of the over-unders I, real quick. I have, I have oh, a quick ahead, question about the, the Alabama quarterback. So you, you don't believe that uh, Tua Leah – 
will be able to come in and, and uh, beat Mac Jones to his brother? You know, that's a that's a great question. So Mac Jones looked efficient at the end of the season. And now what we have, we have a lot of uncertainty right now with the college season. I think that battle, well, if we had spring practices, were going to be so important to who wins the Crimson Tide quarterback position. I'm getting more and more feel, fearful that coaches are going to have a shortened training camp. They might have a shortened season. They might do away. You know how every team has that throwaway opening game. I call it a scrimmage game, but they actually count it in the standings. Yeah. Um, if they lose that, wouldn't you be more likely to go with the quarterback who's got a little bit more experience? That's why right now in college fantasy football leagues, I'm drafting guys who have played, not guys who have not. But that's a different story for a different day. Yeah, Mac Jones seems like he's kind of Jake Frommish. Yeah, I mean, and, and you know what? You could probably win the SEC with that. Yeah, that's true. I would also say I think Bryce Young has a better chance to start over over to his brother, but that's just me for Alabama. All right, so I have some of the over over-unders really quick for the NFL draft. I'm going to ask you – just kind of all the positions real quick because I find it kind of interesting. I'll get everybody's answers here. So total QBs drafted in the uh, first round. It's sitting at over under four. So I'll start with you, John, since you're the guest. Over under on four. Oh, my God. Wait, is it four and a half or four? No, because I think four, four will go. Exactly. I think that's why they put it at four. Yeah, it's at four. Oh, so it's a, it's a push. <laughs> Let's say I think four will go. All right, Dennis. Well, I think it comes down to does somebody fall in love with Jalen Hurts? And yes, yes. And and if that happens, or Eason, I, I can see someone well, reaching up for Eason. I I I think definitely, you know, we're looking at Tua Herbert Burrow, and, and then it comes down to Hurts and Love and Eason, and I think teams are going to want to get that extra year if they think that there's a quarterback. So I think, uh, I, I don't think teams really embrace the whole tank for Trevor tank for Tua, like <laughs> we as fans do. I, I think they, the, the, the front offices will kind of do a three year plan, but the players play and the coaches coach coaches know that if they don't win, they don't keep their jobs. And so they're they're trying to win, even even in bad situations. They're they're coaching to win. So I'm gonna I'm gonna take the over and say somebody's gonna reach up and grab, you know, that fifth guy right there at the end. All right, what about you, Matt? Four would have been my guess, so I guess I would have kind of been on a push. Uh if I had to choose over or under, I'd lean toward three. All right. On the running backs, 1.5. John, over or under? Under. I just – I think the val- they'll go in the second round. That's, yeah, I think, I, just one. I, yeah, I agree. I, I even, even one, I think, is iffy. I agree it's iffy, but I think someone will reach for someone. <laughs> I think. That's my guess. Matt? I'm going to go under, too. I, one was was about my guess. All right, and then here's the moneymaker. Wide receivers in the first round, 5.5, over or under? Well, I've got to go over. I've already done my mock draft. I've made the proclamation. <laughs> I'm going over. Um, Well, let's see here. I, I'm going to – so what's the number, five and a half? Yeah, five and a half, yeah. Uh, I think I'm going to go over as well. Matt? I'm over. I think they'll be six. Interesting. I'm the only one going under. I think only five are going to go. I, I think they're going to reach more in the second round for those guys just because of how deep or how deep some people perceive it to be. All right, so tight ends. This is a uh, really a position I want to talk to you about because I'm going to be 100% honest with everybody here. I don't do a lot of studying of the tight end positions uh, in college because I just feel like the game changes so much for them coming into the NFL. We have seen a rookie tight end kind of become a vi- viable every single year, but how often or how much do you study the tight end position uh, in the college game? I studied a lot of tight end when I was in college. I'm sure no! you did. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Unfortunately, I didn't get enough, but that's a different story for a different day. Um, so I do way too much tight end scouting in of college players because I've now come to the conclusion that the value in dynasty league tight ends are late round draft picks. Here's some examples. Look at the top 10 tight ends last year, and I'll give you who they are and where they were drafted. Kelsey, third round. Kittle, fifth round. Waller, sixth round. Ertz, second. Andrews, third. Hooper, third. Cook, third. Higby, fourth. Hunter, second. Goddard, second. Here's some unbelievably poor ones so far. And Joku, first round, number 29. Evan Ingram, he's not, but 23. O.J. Howard, 19. Aiden Hurst just got traded, lost a job, 25. I am now, I'm dumpster diving more than ever. Last year, I got Josh Oliver, Jay Sternberger late in my leagues. I'm very comfortable. So I do watch a lot of these tight ends to find where are the nuggets in rounds four and five of dynasty drafts. I'm not paying money for tight ends ever again. All right, I like it. That's that's what I like to hear. So we always talk about in the fantasy community, it takes two to three years for a tight end to develop. Yet every year we see at least one rookie tight end have a viable fantasy rookie year. As you just talked about, Evan Ingram. We saw it what happened with Mark Andrews as well. Who is that tight end for you this year that you think could come onto a team and have a viable fantasy rookie season? I think now. I'm not saying he's the best, but I think someone who could step on the field athletically and physically and compete at the NFL level, Albert Okwabunum of Missouri, he, to me, is the most athletically gifted, physically gifted tight end at 6'5", 258, ran a 4.49. Playing in the SEC, I think he can now, he, he's limited. But from a fantasy standpoint, I think he's capable of stepping in, maybe earning 45% to 55% of a team's snaps and earning opportunities quicker than anyone else in the draft. Very interesting. That is not at all who I thought you were going to go. I thought you might go one of the Bryant brothers or uh, Troutman. I did not expect you to go. I can't even say his name. I'm, I'm horrible at pronouncing names anyway. So I won't King even Albert. That's what we used to King call him college. Right. King Albert. That works better. That is what I'm going to use from now on because I will butcher his last name like nobody's business. All right, so since you have done um, a lot of your homework, obviously, on these tight ends, how deep is the tight end position for you? I think there's six who I'm very interested in in the four. I, I always want clear fifth, fourth and fifth round dynasty drafts. I'm not going earlier. I do have Adam Troutman number one, but I think he has a learning curve. Very similar to the Dallas Goddard learning curve coming out of the SFCS. And in my book, he's not as good of a prospect as Dallas Goddard. But he is an extraordinarily good athlete. His combine was spectacular. If he had put up those numbers coming out of, let's say, University of Florida, he would probably be in the debate as a number one draft pick in the NFL based on athletic ability and level of competition. But because he played at Dayton, and I think this is fair, I have a second round grade, but the learning curve is going to be steep. Then King Albert is my third round grade, but I think he has an easier transition to NFL stardom right away. Then I have Hunter Bryant of Washington. He is an Evan Ingram clone, maybe Evan Ingram light. He's a little small at 248, but 6'2. He also has some injuries, a little, a few red flags that I don't love. I like him. He's my number three. Now I have Cole Met at number four. That's because the NFL is going to rate Cole Komet more than higher than I do as a dynasty owner. So the opportunity will be there. He is a good blocker. He's a day one inline tight end, but I think he has limited upside as a pass receiver. So he's number four. Harrison Bryant is number five coming out of Florida Atlantic. 6'5", 243, but again, he's he's in that Evan Ingram bucket of, of player. And number six is Bryson Hopkins, 
who has the pedigree, a little small at 6'4", but only 245 pounds. But Bryson Hopkins is my number six. So do you think that Albert kind of falls along that Darren Waller, Mark Andrews kind of spectrum? He's going to need to land in a spot like that where they essentially use him as a big slot? Absolutely, my friends. You nailed it. I mean, if he lands in that spot and you have a coaching staff who decides to employ them, employ him in the slot as a dominant vertical threat, and he can challenge the center of the field deep. He could be an immediate impact player. What are your top landing spots for tight ends in the NFL? Like what, uh, what NFL teams do you want to see these guys land on? So, you know, I was looking at depth charts. How bad are the Patriots at both wide receiver and tight end? It's so weird to look at what they have right now. So number one is new England. Number two is Cincinnati. I think they depth, but See, that's the problem. They're going to go with, I think, like a Cole Komet, you know, or maybe they go real late with the Jared Pickney, more of your kind of classic inline blocker than a fantasy asset. The Washington Redskins' Jordan Reed era is over. They need an upgrade. The Jaguars desperately need an upgrade. I, it, but Josh Oliver's on the roster, but I would not feel comfortable with Oliver as my top guy. And then I think the Saints need a long-term answer behind Jared Cook at tight end. So the Jaguars signing Eifert didn't change that at all for you? <laughs> I, so I've been – see, I'm very conservative with injuries. I have not been drafting Eifert in the last three or four years, not even for value. He just can't stay on the field. I just have no interest. And what is, I think he's a one-year stopgap at best, at best. All right, so since you already kind of ranked most of your tight ends there, I know Matt has a question he wants to ask you really quick before he gets to that. Uh, where do you have Jared Pinkney? Because he's a guy that I really liked, obviously had a great year two years ago and really kind of fell off the map last year. Where do you see him uh, transitioning into the NFL? So I do think Jared Offensive Pinkney, tackle. <laughs> That's what I, you know, you know, I think it's a team like the Titans who love to run the football. I think he's going to end up with a team that is dedicated to the running game. I could actually see him in New Orleans. I mean, they could, they could go with those backs with Alvin Kamara and with Latavius Murray, him and Jared Cook rotating two tight end systems where they're pounding people. I, he's a blocking tight end with a little upside as a pass catcher. He's my number nine, my number nine tight end on my list. Last year, obviously, we saw uh, kind of a celebrated tight end class, some some big names, guys that went in pretty high in the actual NFL draft. We had a couple go in the first round. This class doesn't seem to quite have uh, anything close to that level of buzz. So when do you think the first tight end will come off the board in the NFL draft? I think one team, and I'm – I think one team will like one tight end and decide to take him in the second round. I don't, I would not find value there myself. You know, you mentioned how there will be a, a run of wide receivers in the second round. I think there might be three tight ends in the third round taken. I think that's where a franchise should find and target value at the position. All right, and as uh, Dennis mentioned earlier, me and Matt are in a Devi league. So who are your top five Devi tight ends? All right, excellent. I'm glad you went here because we don't talk Devi tight ends. Number one, Kyle Pitts out of the University of Florida. He could have a monster year this year, people. Now, he's the type of young man I would love to have seen a full training camp, but I like him a lot. Pat Freermuth of Penn State. Not as good as Jacecki. But, man, he's in the bucket. Then I have Brevin Jordan of the University of Miami. Now, he might get trapped. Miami just has not been very good on the field. So I would like to see him take an uptick. They did bring in Derek King out of Houston. So maybe he upgrades the passing game. Let's see. And then I love this young man. I loved him last year, but he got hurt in training camp. Baylor Cup of Texas A&M. Love that young man. Hopefully he gets on the field and he can show us what he's made of. And then out of your Ohio State Buckeyes, Jeremy Rucker, the tight end. 
All right, very nice. So obviously, um, my goodness, I just uh, Kyle Pitts. Do you think he's? Uh, I mean, he was phenomenal last year. Everybody kind of has him as their number one tight end in their Debbie ranks. Do you think he is a likely first round talent next year? Because there are some people. Uh, I know. I know you are. Oh my gosh, I can't think of uh, Stoops and Ricky Valero. I know that you you know yes. them a little bit. Stoops is loves Kyle Pitts. He loves Florida. He thinks Florida is a team that obviously. With the college football season in doubt, and as you mentioned, we were hoping with all the training camps and everything that were supposed to be coming, spring games and all this stuff, he thought Florida could take a step forward and possibly win the SEC this year, and a lot of that coming from guys like Kyle Pitts. Is Kyle Pitts a first-round NFL talent, in your opinion? Right now, athletically, yes, but we do need to see a little bit more of a production model and efficiency out of him. I mean, if he went out and he bombed this year, let's just take it to the absurd then he's not. But if he goes out and at least has an O.J. Howard, Irv Smith type of season for the Gators, I think he would be a first-round grade. Awesome. All right, Matt, Dennis, you guys have anything else you want to ask John before we get out of here? Uh, so, better legacy, better NFL legacy player, Deron Carter or Thad Moss? Ooh, um, I'm going to go Thad Moss because I see glimpses of athleticism, a lot of holes in his game. I get that. But I would go um, Thaddeus Moss. Yeah, Carter's already washed out of the league, so. Yeah. <laughs> Hasn't he washed out of two leagues? Wasn't he yeah. AF yeah. And CFL? Yep, I think so. Yeah, the CFL. He's going for the threefer. That's too ah, bad. Yes. Mine would be obviously you said your uh, your mock's going to drop later, but uh, my curiosity is what you think Denver does in the first round. A lot of people think they're going to for sure take a wide receiver. You know, seeing what they did in the off season so far, I think there's two or three obvious needs. Wide receiver might be what they do, but they have that pick at 15. What do you think they're going to do? So this is fascinating because I made a trade up for Denver. Denver was desperate. I really believe they have to get one of these big three receivers. So I have the Jets with CeeDee Lamb. I have the Raiders pulling Henry Ruggs. And then I have the Broncos switching with the 49ers to take Jerry Judy. Interesting. I mean, I'd hate that as a CeeDee Lamb fan ah! for him to go to the Jets. Yeah. But I mean... I mean- the Rugs does seem like a Raiders pick. That's kind of where all the talk yeah, has been going. So, and they know there's that uh, type. there's big rumblings here uh, locally. Mike Kliss, who uh, is probably the beat writer that seems to have the biggest inside track, because uh, I think uh, he's got his head firmly planted close to John Always' backside. Uh, he his big piece this week was not that Denver is going to move up, but that they were making a move to acquire a second pick. Uh, in the back half of the first round. Oh, interesting. I mean, look, if they there is value. They could, you know, maybe they love T. Higgins. Now, I think he's redundant with Cortland Sutton. You know, I think they're so similar, him and Cortland Sutton, the, the, the patterns they run, how they beat defenses. But, you know, Elway might love that type of player. Or maybe he loves Ayuk. You know, I or, mean. Or maybe right? he crushes all of our souls and takes takes a center. Ah, he could, they do need offensive C- line. Caesar Ruiz is a beast, man. Who, who yeah, I, we do need a center because uh, you know they yes. made a big deal. I liked Glasgow signing, but we released Ron Leary, so that fills that hole. And then we let our center go. So I was like, guys, one good signing doesn't fill two holes magically. <laughs> I love Ruiz. Having watched him at Michigan a lot, he's a steal in the second round. I think for the team that wants to upgrade the interior of the line. Well, since we're talking offensive line really quick, and and uh, <laughs> Matt, Matt got to talk about his team, I'm going to go ahead and bring up the Browns real quick before we let you go. Um, <laughs> obviously, I think a lot of people think, um, oh, my goodness, was it Wirfs is going to go before he gets to the Browns would be my assumption. He, he kind of seems to be the guy who, after the combine, has really kind of uh, – Jumped his stock up. Jedrick Wills or Andrew Thomas, do you think is the best fit for the Browns there at pick 10? Right now, I have Jedrick Wills um, mocked on my draft. I agree with you. I think 
I would have loved to seen Wirfs go there, but I think yeah. he's off the board because I have the Giants and the Cardinals are desperate for tackles also. So I don't think that Wirfs will be will be bypassed by both those teams. So I think um, Jedrick Willis who, Wills, who could step in right away and upgrade that um, Browns offensive line. All right, I'm going to continue with the Browns questioning one more. Uh, you, you mentioned the Giants, which I have seen some people talking about the Giants possibly taking Wurfs there at four. Is there any shot you think Isaiah Simmons falls to the Browns at 10 if, if say, Wurfs goes and then say the other teams – I can't think off the top. I know Jacksonville's there, Arizona, no. um, I, those other no. teams. Are no. probably, any chance that I, Simmons a, falls? I Look, I'm a big Isaiah Simmons. I have him as my fourth overall player in this draft. Right. I have him falling right now to the Panthers at seven. I can't imagine him getting by Carolina and Jacksonville. Yeah. I mean, Jacksonville, if he could fall to nine, oh, my God. I love Isaiah Simmons. He is the modern NFL player. Space, tackler, blitzer, cover guy. I just love what he brings, the energy, the passion. So I can't see him last until 10. So Simmons versus Barkley in the open field. Touchdown or takedown? <laughs> takedown, baby. No, oh, no. Saquon Barkley's gonna run Simmons over. And I no, I only say that because Simmons broke my heart, so whatever. <laughs> Simmons is oh my god. I, I uh, mean I just phenomenal. watched way too much Clemson. I, I just thought he now I don't want to see him as like they need to move him around. I remember I'm old enough to remember how the Broncos used Carl Mecklenburger. You need a creative defensive coordinator who's going to use the young man in different spots. But the cool thing is you can use him in the secondary, in the safety, and outside, inside linebacker, depending on the scheme. Yeah, I mean, he was, in my opinion, one of the main reasons uh, Clemson was able to beat Ohio State. What he did in the second half was ridiculous. Obviously, Um, got the clinching interception, and again, you know. Yeah. Praying nothing but health for that man if he doesn't end up on the Browns because, you know, just super thrilled for what he did against the Buckeyes. But, John, thank you obviously so much uh, for jumping on here today. Plug everything and anything that you've got going on to to all of our listeners so they can check you out. You've obviously got a ton of knowledge. Uh, you're making all of us smarter for jumping on here, but you can't jump on with us every day. So where can all these guys go find everything that you're putting out there? First, thanks for having me on. I had so much fun tonight. Um, for the seventh year in a row, my – Draft profiles are all available on footballdiehards.com. I think I have 47 players up there right now. It's free. Um, I've been with Football Diehards for over 25 years. Love Amel and Bob there. So go check that out. And then this year I started a new endeavor with dynastydraftroom.com. We have the draft seminar series um, with my teammate, Matt Elliott. I believe there are 33 videos, each one between nine and 10 minutes long. And you can check out our analysis of the prospects up there. Also available on YouTube. Yeah, I watch them on YouTube. I, I, I love it. John, obviously, thank you so much for jumping on with us. We really appreciate it. You give us, obviously, a ton of great insight. You jumped on with me and Dennis last year. You're willing to come back on again this year. It's just awesome if you take time out of your day to do that. We really do appreciate it. Uh, continue to stay safe. Uh, have a have a great day. Have a good week. And I hope you enjoy the, uh, the new NFL draft, uh, virtual draft, that we will see in about 10 days. Yes, I'm looking forward to it. Have a great night, everyone. Right on. Thanks, John. Throw it up above his head. They can't jump with me. Golly. Oh, they 